Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, all you gearheads and car fiends, welcome to Driven Radio Show, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brett Hatfield here with my co-host and engineer extraordinaire, Mr. Mark Groves. Yep. We are coming to you from Driven Radio Studios with new soundproofing, new and improved Driven Radio Studios. I know, I love studios. your drapes. Yeah, stood up on that ladder for all of about uh, two and a half minutes putting those things up. Our special guest this week is Sean Robinson. Sean is a graduate of the McPherson College Automotive Restoration yeah. Technology Program, where he Woo. focused his studies on coach building and pre-war mechanical pursuits. Oh, Sean used to daily a 1982 Mack fire truck. Yeah, it beats your Prius all to hell. Uh, that he's also driven across the country on a few different trips. He's currently working on vintage Ferraris and Lamborghinis at a prestigious South Florida dealership. Sean, welcome to Driven Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thrilled to. It's We've been working on this for what, like a year and change? It, it seems about so. I get a text every few months from you asking me to come on and something always comes up. Well, I'm glad we finally got you <laughs> on. Uh, you, you are, yeah. you are a busy guy. How has life been treating you these days? It's been good since, uh, since I graduated from McPherson about a year and a half ago, I've lived in three different States. Um, state of despair, confusion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but right now, I'm living down in South Florida. I have a great job, a great relationship, and working on some great projects. So things are going pretty good. I'm uh, buying more and more things to work on and leaving more and more storage sheds behind me that I'm still paying for. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, don't forget, if you ever need room in the Midwest, I do have a warehouse, although... If you need to park fire trucks in it, we're going to have to look for <laughs> yeah, you know, look for a different part of the warehouse that's got a concrete <laughs> ramp. Uh, right. you, you guys started on your car path early, uh, taking fabrication classes in high school. Did you know then that you wanted to work on vintage and collector cars, or was that something that you found along the way? Kind of along the way. I started in high school, but like, I don't really have any story. Like, I don't really have anything like my grandpa used to be in the cars or my dad was in the cars. I kind of just like took uh, one shop class and my high school was like a fantastic high school. We had uh, just like general automotive care, but we also had a high school automotive fabrication class. Oh, we had, oh, a, cool. we had a huge fabrication welding class. Um, and I kind of used my time there building a rat rod go-kart out of a radio flyer wagon. Uh, I was using it to build wait, 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 table back, legs. Back up. Yeah. Uh, rat rod go-kart out of a radio flyer wagon. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you ever want to do another one, call me. We'll do. Uh, I'll, <laughs> no, be, was sweet. I'll be your was, first customer I, on that. It was my first like go-kart project I ever did. I did my whole own uh, Z like Z frame out of a flat steel uh, Predator Harbor Freight motor up in front. I had like twelve feet of chain running from the front of the go-kart <laughs> to the back. Uh, I had a rear exhaust and I had like one of those like tractor flappers on there. I did a cow guard out of a bunch of old railroad spikes. Made a fake radiator for it, <laughs> dude. <laughs> It's pretty sweet. This sounds awesome. I want one. Can I? Do you have an order yeah. for him? 
<laughs> I should. Now, what kind of seat were you able to put in that, or did your legs just kind of hang off the side wait, and wait, pray wait, to wait, Jesus wait. No, there no, was no. no... No, you already fouled that up. You screwed up the correct first question, especially coming from you. Did you have Craigers on it? Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> I had junior drag slicks in the back. They were oh. like some steel rim. Oh, but like, there are these huge junior drags. Uh, no, the seat was just like a bomber style seat that I made out of the bead roller. And uh, the floor was also bead rolled. And I bead rolled like a Route 66 sign out of brass that I like stamped in the middle of it. <laughs> the steering wheel was made out of chains that I had from a timing chain on a Chrysler I worked on. I want a pair of those. Uh, the, the pe- I just used like bicycle pegs as a footrest. And I put like a little hand throttle and hand brake from a motorcycle. Oh, my God. Um, I would like to order two of these, please, yeah. sir. <laughs> yeah. Instead of radio flyer on the side, needs to say driven radio. Oh, <laughs> there you yeah. go. Yeah. Yo. You can write it off. <laughs> wow. That sounds really cool. Is it, What else did you make in this class? That, that was the only really big, like, motorized project. I did some furniture stuff. Like, I made table legs for some of my um, coffee tables and kitchen dining tables that I made. We also had a 31 Model A that we were building as like a project car, like a turbocharged 350. Uh, I chopped the top on it like five inches. That was the first time I ever chopped the top on it. Uh, We did a little bit to that. made a radiator shroud for that too. But then I think... I think it's still there at the school. I think it's still being worked on. I had a curiosity about uh, chopping tops that I'll ask you right now because I have the opportunity. Um, When you cut those off, how in the frig do you shape the windows? When you want to roll up a door window, I mean, do you actually shorten the glass or do you reshape it or do you have to buy a new one? What? (laughs) I don't think we got that far. (laughs) Probably no windows. But it was nice on the Model A because the windshield pillars are like pretty – straight nuts up right. the backs you have to kind of like notch a little bit and you have to feather the edge when you metal finish it in but i guess you just kind of like you got like half a window that's still in the door always that's, okay that's, yeah you only crank it up so far that's and, a yeah. okay. that's a really legitimately good question because i don't know how to do that either so i'd love to see that done. well so many of the vehicles that i like have really screwed up windows uh, and yeah. you know, well, that's because you like Studebaker commanders and stuff. Shit. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, how do you cut that? Because it would really look cool if it was about three inches down. And uh, yeah, yeah, there's no way on, on God's green earth I would ever take it on because I can't even figure that out. I don't think doing that to your ugly old Mopars is going to help any. <laughs> Shut I up. Really- <laughs> That'd be great. It'd be awesome. It would just look more like a brick. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you got started in your high school fabrication classes and learned a little bit about car stuff and started doing some custom stuff. Uh, yeah. At the same time that you're going th- uh, through those classes, you were also involved with the RPM Foundation while you were in high school. What's it like working with RPM and what were you doing with them? And how did that lead to McPherson? Who was responsible for guiding you? Yeah, that was that's a great question. Uh, RPM is a fantastic organization. It stands for restoration, preservation, and mentorship. And it's a non-for-profit that's like dedicated to getting students and young people into the automotive industry. And you hear that? He said, oh, young people, we're not qualified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll never get it. Uh, they, they knew my high school very well because uh, they were based out of Chicago and 
our high school is like one of the most renowned high schools in the area for like doing automotive technical stuff. And Diane Fitzgerald was the president at the time. And she knew my shop teacher, Jordan Englehart. And they connected me with RPM and went on a bunch of shop hops. We toured a bunch of local like performance shops, restoration shops and car collections. They took me on uh, trips down to Houston for some concourses, a lot of great stuff. And then they finally connected me with McPherson College and introduced me to them, to the faculty there. They told me to go down there for like one of their open house days. And that's where I really like connected, like, wow, you can actually like make a living with this stuff and really do some really nice work, meet some great people. And uh, yeah, a lot of it is is due to RPM introducing me to everyone I know now, pretty much. That's awesome. You've also spent some time in Chicago working on pre-war cars. Who were you working yeah. for and on what did you work? Yeah, that was also another connection through RPM. Uh, Diane connected me to my uh, former boss, Bob Letterer, who owned Metal Edge Creations or Chicago Parts and Sound. And it's a restoration facility that kind of started out uh, working on his own cars. And then it kind of grew and grew and grew to taking on some more customer cars. And now it's now it's a pretty even split between customer cars and, and his projects there. But while I was there, my first project was doing the coach building for a 1929 Stutz BB Boattail Speedster. And that was one of my boss's personal cars that he bought. And it was a, a, kind of like an abandoned project car. Someone back in the day tried to make this Boattail Speedster out of a Stutz frame. And like the proportions were way off. The wood was rotted out. The floors were gone. Um, we had to take like period photos that we had and photos from another car that we knew was real and like scale all the dimensions, the angles and everything to try and recreate the skeleton structure of like the boat tail. Oof. And we ended up making, uh, we ended up kind of like bringing the whole body down like three or four inches to fit uh, what it should have been or, or like the fenders are even with like the rest of the roof. And we moved the bulkhead back a little bit more than normal just to like, you know, make it more comfortable for like larger people these days. And, um, we ended up doing a whole new body for it in aluminum. Sam, the metal guy there did an amazing job. And I think it's still there. It's the waiting paint right now. It's pretty much all done, but it's this gorgeous, gorgeous car, straight eight, uh, four speed. I think they were turbocharged too, but gorgeous car. Wow. And we also worked on a 1928 Hibbert and Darren coach-built car, which is a Rolls-Royce Phantom P1, which was a transformable Phaeton. Gorgeous car, inline six, 100 horsepower, three-speed. The customer brought it into us, and it kind of started out as like a, hey, see what you can do like over one of your summer or winter breaks at college kind of thing. And like we were like – looking into this thing a little bit and like realized it needed some new floors and we're like, all right, yeah, it's kind of no big deal. Three years later, it's still there. It <laughs> turned it in. It turned into a huge mess. We started pulling off the body panels. It was like someone took a caulk gun and filled it in with Bondo and was like just scoring it into every rotten joints oh, on like man. the whole car. It's a, uh, this huge four door car, uh, steel frame, but I had a wooden chassis over it that held the whole body in. And 
we ended up like we should have from the get go just rebuilt the whole thing, but we kind of like ended up working our way back, starting from the tail and working our way forward. Once we were realizing that like more and more pieces of this car were just completely rotted. The hardest part and the coolest part about this car was like the early Rolls Royce cars had like so many cast aluminum parts. The doors were four or five pieces, the top, the sides, the bottom rails, the inner structure were all cast aluminum with like one steel or one aluminum uh, body panel over it. So like trying to fit these doors that are like super precisely cast to the car was probably one of the hardest parts. I have months and months and months just fitting these doors because normally when you build a car, like you kind of build the body and kind of critique the door to fit, but it was like, we were given these doors that like are supposed to fit the car and building the whole car around these doors. Cause there was nothing left to go off of to make templates for all the new A pillars, B pillars, C pillars, everything. So you started with the one thing that was intact and went from there. Yeah. Yeah. It was basically like we were pulling these body panels off and it was like, it was glued in with Bondo. Oh, oh no. God. No, it was wow. awful. In addition to working on some of the magnificent pre-war specials, you also worked on far less prestigious personal projects. Uh, Tell us a little bit about working on cars full of bullet holes and discovering an El Camino you owned was full of foam filler. Yeah, the, uh, the bullet hole car was my first real project car. It was a 2004 Chrysler Sebring that I bought out of South Chicago. I found it on Craigslist. It was a blown head gasket car. I thought like it would be a great like money making lift car, and it was listed for like three or four hundred bucks. Oh, no. and it was in like Inglewood or like some really bad South Chicago neighborhood. And my mom was like, she took one look at it and was like, no way in hell. She called the town's police chief that day and was like hey, my son's going to come over to this town tomorrow and look at a car. Like, is it a safe town? Should he go there? Like, should we meet somewhere else? And the police chief was like, do not let your son into this town. It is not safe for him. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so I was like, but it's a really good deal, right? So I ended up telling the guy to meet me at like a little KFC parking lot, like the next town over. Uh, we rented like one of those U-Haul tow dollies and towed it over there in my minivan. We met the guy, but like we get to the car and uh, I'm looking it over and he's like, yeah, my uh, my girlfriend woke up last night to a gunshots and she found out that someone shot the car up four times. There was bullet holes like through the door, through the wheel well, <laughs> over the roof. Oh, and it just and, happened uh, last night, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Explain that, right? Like, I told you so for my mom, but, um, yeah, I ended up like knocking like fifty bucks off for the bullet holes. Just, like the dumbest <laughs> thing ever. What a deal! <laughs> yeah. Sean standing so there we, doing the math in his head. Okay, a, a bucket yeah. of bondo costs. Yeah. So uh, we towed it home with the uh, the tow dolly. I ended up like it was fixing a bone head gasket. I put new heads on there. I sold it. Made a made a few bucks. But this is like one of like my worst repair jobs I've ever done. It was like, I didn't know what to do like about the bullet holes. Cause I was like 15, 16 at the time. And I just grabbed what I could. I was grabbing cardboard, uh, 
pieces of plastic, Bondo, shoving everything in there. You get a you get a metal hammer and a bag. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went to the like AutoZone, got like the Chrysler Sebring blue, whatever spray paint cans, and, like blended the whole thing. From like five feet, you could not tell. It was <laughs> it was amazing. I love it. So another project you had is an El Camino that you get into a shop up on a rack and take it from there. Yeah, the El Camino was kind of like my, hey, I'm going to McPherson College. I should probably bring a project car out there. That was the worst mistake of my life was <laughs> getting too overly excited about this El Camino. I love El Caminos. I freaking love El Caminos. The 66 El Camino that I found on Craigslist in like Kunkel, Ohio or something. It was this really small town that had like a hundred or like 80 people and like in the town. And I drive out there at like five or six in the morning with my uh, minivan again with the toe dolly. And I drive out there and I meet this guy and like, I'm looking at this building and it like, it looks so weird. It was, and I'm like, I'm getting closer to it. It looked like a middle school. And this guy bought his old middle school that he used to go to when he was a kid and turned it into like his house and his shop. <laughs> and at first it sounds genius, but like the layout was just so awful for everything in there. <laughs> 37 bathrooms, like, no showers. <laughs> literally. Yeah. One communal shower for everyone. <laughs> he, uh, he showed me the house and I guess like it was like in the middle of summer cause it was before college, but he never took down his Halloween decorations. I was going into school and I'm like looking in these rooms and he's showing me like where he's throwing these Halloween parties. There's like fake skeletons, fake blood all over the walls, like one hanging light bulb, like on a string, like it's literally out of a scary movie. And he's like, oh yeah, don't worry about that. That's from, that's got, from Halloween. You know, guys dragging crazy. a machete around behind yeah, him. That's cute that you yeah. think it's fake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's showing me around and like, He's like, yeah, this is my old math class. And he has like a, a perfectly somewhat restored 67 El Camino, not the one I was buying, but another El Camino in his old math class. Like, I don't even know how he got it in there. And uh, I guess he's going to like have to take out a wall to get it out. But like literally it's the strangest thing ever going through this, this school. And then finally he had conveniently this El Camino parked outside in the tall grass where I couldn't <laughs> get underneath this thing. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, cool. I'm looking at the thing. Cool car, like, mister. Like what's that Halloween? Yeah. What's that hockey mask for? <laughs> yeah, literally. Uh, I'm looking at this car and like, it's like this dull orange, like paint job. And I was like, it's, it looked pretty solid. But, like I was just like, nothing really too crazy. And he was telling me, he's like, yeah, it's a single stage paint job. You know, I went yep. with the orange and the single stage. Cause <laughs> single I can just change the color every weekend. And like literally, there was eight layers of paint on this car. <laughs> this thing. It was blue, red, white, gold, brown, and finally orange again. But um, no, that was like my like I don't know what I'm doing, but I got to bring a car to McPherson kind of thing. Uh -huh. And I drive it out there. Or I ship. We ended up shipping it out to Kansas because there was no way in hell I was going to drive out there. <laughs> and. Uh, we get this thing on a lift and look underneath it. And I'm like seeing like four different floor pans riveted in together, uh, like 
house wiring connections throughout the whole thing, like those little twist lock things. Romex. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Vacuum lines out of garden hose, like the craziest thing. <laughs> My friend's looking at this thing. He pokes it with like a wooden stick, and it goes right through the fender, and no. it's full of spray foam. Oh my uh, god! And, and yeah, eight, so I just well, an eight coats of paint. I did it, but <laughs> right, I did what anyone else would have, and I just I threw some uh, big old steer horns in the front of it, and just drove the piss out of it for like two years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who's gonna notice the uh, the bondo when you've got steer horns on the front of an El Camino? <laughs> exactly, that's just rolling right. sex right there. But the reason he only drove it for two years is because he would eventually buy a 1982 Mack fire truck. What in the yeah. name of God possessed you to drive, buy a fire truck? Winner. I, right. I really don't even know. It's like I've never really had <laughs> a desire to like even be a firefighter, not even like a volunteer or anything. I just love heavy-duty diesel equipment and like really high ladders, I guess. And uh, I was like, I've placed bids on them before um, on like those government auction sites and some sealed bids and stuff. And I've entered some other raffles. Iron Planet, and stuff in, like that. Yeah, yeah. Gov Planet, Iron Planet, all that stuff. But I found this guy on Facebook who was raffling off his 82 Mac in Pennsylvania. And uh, he was trying to like raise money for his bar. And I ended up contacting him. Like, you know, just kind of like shooting the shit, like asking him like how many tickets you sold and like, this was like the raffle's been going on for like a month or two. And he was like, oh, man, it's been slow. I only sold a few. And I was like, oh, let me buy a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up buying like, it was like $350 worth of tickets or something. But uh -huh. like I was holding all my tickets and I had like, I had like 20 tickets. And he was telling me how he only sold like 100 so far. And I was like. I've got a 20% chance at winning this thing. <laughs> like, I couldn't afford to back out. So I was like, I bought a few more, you know. He ended up, like, calling the raffle early, and I ended up winning. I was actually towing that night. I was, like, I was on a call towing someone's car in Kansas, and he called me. And I was like, I was like, all right, cool. I have no idea what I'm going to do, but uh, <laughs> sweet. So I drove, I flew out there the following weekend. And I go and look at the thing and it was, it was true. The guy was trying to raise money for his bar. You know, we go and look at this thing. It's, it's out back at this other warehouse that he has. We go out there, we bring some new tires. I know the tires are bad. And my buddy Carl, who I met through McPherson college, uh, has a shop like an hour away. So I flew in there. We go and look at this thing. We can't get this thing moving for like, for any reason. I, I felt like the clutch was stuck or the brakes were seized because it was like in the middle of winter. So I felt like the drum brakes, you know, froze up in the back. So I opened the back and plates. I try and free the, the rear shoes, but like nothing works. I ended up feeling the clutch pedal and the clutch pedal was like super stiff. Like there was no free play. So I ended up like adjusting the clutch pedal out like two inches and we finally got it to like rock out and like get out of like the mud pit it was in and drive it home. But still, the clutch like needed to be adjusted way more. The thing was slipping so much because of the clutch cable. I could only go like 20 miles an hour, and we had like 60 or 70 miles to go. Oh, we were going no. up these hills, oh, like, and I was God. going, I was going up like these mountains in Pennsylvania, like two miles an hour. 
There was like three or four miles of traffic behind me. There was one, there was one point where um, we were going on the outskirts of town and we're on the main road. The town is to the right of us. The road curved left and the three miles of traffic behind us decided to go through the town to try and cut in front of me because it was like a two-lane road. They couldn't really all pass me. Oh. And uh, I watched the whole line of traffic veer right to go around me. And uh, I'm like, all right, I guess they're all gone, you know, whatever. And I get out of the town and I look to my right. All of the cars that tried to pass me were right behind me again. <laughs> as I made the corner, they must have been so pissed. They like ended up stuck. The thing stalled at me like three or four times because oh I couldn't get out of gear because God. like the clutch, the clutch was slipping so much you couldn't pull it out of gear. Like I had to shut it off and and finally like rock it back to get into gear. And conveniently enough, we were driving it back to Carl's shop because that was like the only place I knew to take it. And his neighbor is like a heavy duty diesel mechanic shop, uh, and he works on like semis and stuff. We go and meet this guy. He's like this big like. Six seven, six eight, three hundred pound dude, the <laughs> nicest dude I've ever met. Mm-hmm. He had a broken arm the whole time I was talking to him because he fell off a semi truck cleaning the snow off it last week. And like, we go in there, he's showing me like all his titty photos that he has on the wall. And he's like, <laughs> God made <laughs> God made titties for a reason. I got to look at them, but I love my wife. <laughs> and he loved this fire truck so much that he like put all of his customers aside. He's like, this guy's got to get back on the road next week to feed his family, but I'm going to put your fire truck first and work on it. The nicest guy, (laughs) nicest guy I've ever met. So, uh, during the week, he ended up like, he ended up like fixing the clutch cable, putting on the tires for me, uh, greasing the whole thing, changing the oil for me. And like the bill was like 600 bucks. So I gave him like seven or 800 bucks, like as like a little bit of a tip, you know? And he was like, that's that's not correct. Like it was six hundred, and I was like, no, dude. Like, like it's the least I could do. Like, throw him an extra hundred bucks or so. And he's like, no, like I, that's it's, it's six hundred dollars. And I was like, okay, just just keep it, dude. Like, please. So, um, with like no prior experience to like ever driving anything like this, <laughs> my buddy Matthew and I fly out there again the next week and pick it up from his shop, and we're like, all right, let's just drive it uh, all the way back to Kansas from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, well, which sure. like, should have, should have normally been a uh, 14, 15 hour drive ended up taking like two 16, 17 hour driving days. Ugh. Wow. Uh, In a but I was truck. like, yeah. And I still was using the old guy's tag, like license plate on the back of it. So I was like, I didn't really think this far. Like I didn't really have a better license plate. Really? So I was like, all right, <laughs> I need to get this thing out of Pennsylvania as, as fast as I can. We end up driving this thing like straight South into Maryland. And like, that was again, the second worst decision I've ever made. Like it was just mountain after mountain, after mountain, after like steep grade, after steep grade, like, like so steep, it was like the mandatory brake check areas. And like, I've never driven a semi before in my life. Okay. And I'm like driving this thing. Two, qu- two questions. One, yeah. uh, do you, are you supposed to have a CDL to pilot this thing? <laughs> At the time, I didn't know. So 
I was just like assuming that uh, it was registered as an antique, not as a truck. So I was like, okay, driver's license because it's an antique, not like a, mm-hmm. a semi truck. Sure. <laughs> and what I did was like, I printed out like the Pennsylvania and the Kansas legislator, which like described like what qualifies as like an antique vehicle. And I basically like highlighted every other word that like made sense that like, it was like 25 years or older. So it's an antique. So it's like a normal driver's license. And I was like, yeah, this makes sense. Nuh-uh. But <laughs> yeah. So uh, I still didn't want to stop for scales. So I was, I was, dodging like every single scale i could find and 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 the second question even with service and the new tires what is the top speed on this thing the top speed on this thing because this truck was specked out for like a mining town and like a paper town up in maine it was like geared super low for like the mountains uh so top speed was a blistering 44 miles an hour. <laughs> Pedal to the metal, baby. Time for some <laughs> taller tires. <laughs> the greatest part was that, like, the pedal didn't even go to 44. The pedal only went to, like, 35, 37 miles an hour. You have to pull the uh, PTO governor knob all the way out, like, past the dash to get to 44. Like, you got to, like, go past the stock governor and bring how it up to 44. This, how is this a fire truck? Because you're going to have to call ahead, you know, two days ahead of your fire to be able to get it there oh, on it was time. from Petticoat Junction. Jesus, you didn't have to go that true. fast. <laughs> yeah. Good the, town, the town was so small. You could just, you could, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Hang on, John. Know your house is on fire, but I ain't going to go, you know, get the fire truck. I'll be right back. Be I got, I got to suit up the mules there. You got some weenies? Get on it. I'll be right there. God almighty. So it took you two 16-hour days to get that thing back At to least. Kansas. What's it like to yeah. ride in the cab of a fire truck for, you know, 32 hours within 48 and there's another question. Honestly, I'm I'm yeah. in, I'm in my fifties, and so is Mark. I can't ever recall having seen a cop pull over a fire truck. Don't you get some kind of a free pass? Exactly. That's why I was like, no one's going to pull over a fire truck for dodging a scale. So I was like, I was going under the assumption that like I looked legit enough to like be somewhat in service that like no one's going to ever like dare pulling me over. And is that how that worked out? Yeah. Yeah, I've never been pulled over <laughs> while driving. What oh, also that's... didn't really help me was, uh, at the time, one of the most famous beers was uh, Yingling uh-huh. and uh, famous college beers, and we couldn't get it in Kansas. So oh, all yeah. my friends were like, dude, like you're going to Pennsylvania? Like You're going to bring me back some Yingling, right? Oh, so no. I had like... 12 cases of yingling in the back of the truck and all the toolboxes like the entire way i brought back for all my friends but we ended up stopping in like uh indiana somewhere after the first day so we made it from pennsylvania to indiana so we thought like we were pretty set and had no problems checked in the hotel you know like at like one or two in the morning uh Woke up early the next day, stopped at a Walmart, bought a portable speaker. That was a game changer. Before, it was just like 16 <laughs> hours of just, of just uh, road noise. But yeah. the truck drove phenomenal. I mean, the truck only had, at the time, like 8,000 miles. So, like, all the bushing, suspension and stuff was fine. Like, it, it actually still passes 
uh, DOT specs for the steering wheel. It's like it only had like an inch of play while you're driving, which was better than some of my other daily drivers. How big's the tank on that thing? I'm guessing it has uh, more than one. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's a 50-gallon diesel tank and then a 300-gallon water tank. 50 gallons of diesel. Any idea yeah. what kind of mileage that thing gets? I'm guessing it's shaped <laughs> about like a brick. <laughs> Sur- surprisingly, got a straight six. And oh. uh, it got like six to seven miles a gallon. Wow. On flat grounds. Yeah. That's really surprising. So how yeah, many fuel fills between uh, <laughs> between Pennsylvania and Kansas? I can't remember. The gas gauge never worked, so I kind of just stopped uh, every three or four hours. So I guess like <laughs> oh <my God>. probably <laughs> seven or eight fill-ups in there somewhere. But what wow. are you talking, like a 50-gallon uh, uh, diesel tank, like a Mack yep, truck tank? 50, 50-gallon yeah, diesel yeah. tank. Six to seven miles a gallon, Jesus. three to three fifty in a tank, and if you're yeah. doing it, if you're topped out at forty, if you stop every three hours or four hours, that's only one hundred twenty, hundred sixty miles. Yeah, yeah. So the three hundred dollar yeah. fire truck cost you how much to get home? Yeah, three hundred. <laughs> three hundred dollar fire truck cost him seven hundred fifty dollars to get back home. <laughs> but I think it, I think it was just under a thousand in fuel the whole way. But like. <laughs> It was also fifteen hundred in tires and like yeah, the, and the another two thousand for some hydraulic work plus the workout from Pennsylvania. And he's still out less than what a hammered Camry would cost you. <laughs> yeah, okay, true. So, so you get this thing back to Kansas and start having fun with it. What are some of the things that you've done that were cool with the fire truck? Yeah. Uh, I kind of first kind of was just like fucking around with it back at school, like in the sheds. And I remember flying the ladder uh, for the first time in Kansas and I, I turned the hydraulics and there was just like a piss line of hydraulic fluid coming out of one of the cylinders, <laughs> like, like eight, eight, ten feet out. Oh, no. I'm like, well, got to rebuild that cylinder. <laughs> you think? But uh, <laughs> I pulled it like the next week and had it sent out. But after that, you know, I was just kind of like, I was kind of just flying that ladder whenever I really felt like it. My friends and I would would fly it and go watch the sunset. Uh, my friend lost his frisbee in the tree, so we went up there and pulled his frisbee <laughs> out of the tree. <laughs> One of our other friends at the farm had to change the light on their flagpole, so we, we flew the ladder, changed the light on their flagpole, you know. Uh I did pee off the ladder one time, uh, all the way up. That was pretty fun. Had to make sure the hose worked. Of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Funny. But I'm bum. And how. So you drove the thing from Pennsylvania to Kansas, but that's not the last long road trip you did with that fire truck. Where else have you driven it? So after I graduated, I was like, man, I really don't want to drive this thing, but like, Towing it out there back to Illinois was going to be so expensive. So I ended up just like biting the bullet. And uh, my buddy Ethan and I drove it back from Kansas to Illinois. And it was, again, like supposed to be like an eight, nine hour drive. Took like 18, 19 hours, you know. But this truck's been phenomenal. It's like now it's got about 10, 11,000 miles on it. So I put about 3,000 miles on this thing so far. It's never given me a problem. I blew one coolant hose one time, but... I was only in town. It wasn't too bad. It's uh, it's a pretty solid, slow-moving vehicle. I get a lot of waves, and I'm assuming good honks on the highway. Uh, 
I think part of it is like no one's gonna get really mad at me for driving 44 on the highway because like it's a fire truck. Like if I was like a Camry driving 44 on the highway, they'd be pissed off. But like it's just like an old emergency vehicle. So I guess I'm just assuming that people think it's like part of the norm. But yeah, it's currently it's still in Illinois. Um, so you haven't driven it to Florida, which I think would be a no, heroic move. <laughs> I'm I'm seriously debating it. It's it's currently at a RV storage place in Illinois. Just waiting for me to drive it down here. Now's the time. I think you could start. I know. I think you could start a company where you were telling pe- people they could live out their firefighter fantasies, dress up in all the firefighter garb, and you're going to drive to a fire states away from where they are. <laughs> yeah, I should. You could you could make that into some kind of fantasy firefighter fantasy camp. We're going to drive this thing. We're going to road trip this sucker seventeen hundred miles. Block off a week. Yeah, <laughs> we'll plan when to start the fire for you. After graduating from McPherson, uh, you lived with famous traffic scofflaw and cannonball record holder Arnie Toman. How did you come to know Arnie, and can you talk about any of the adventures you two had? Yeah, Arnie has been a fantastic mentor in my life. Him and his family have been known as, like, my second family. I, I never fully met Arnie uh, until a few years ago. But when I was in high school, back in, uh, in the fabrication class and everything, I had an internship at this place called AMS Performance. And it was, a, uh, uh, you know, like a tuning shop. They did like intercoolers, downpipes, you know, uh, just race car parts. And Arnie knew my shop teacher, Jordan Inkelhart, and they were like friends from church or something. So, Arnie wasn't working at AMS at the time. He left the company, but he still got me the connection to work there one summer. And like, I just knew about this guy. I knew about how nice he was, but I never really met him. And I kind of just like forgot about it until, uh, two years ago, one summer I was back in Illinois and I was working at the restoration shop. It was like a Friday evening. I was sitting out in the porch on the rocking chair smoking a cigar, playing a banjo, you know, just kind of chilling. And uh, I see this like 80s Mitsubishi Galant drive past. And I was like, oh, that's a cool car, you know. And like an hour later, I'm on Instagram and I go on my stories and I see uh, Arnie Toman driving some 80s looking Mitsubishi. And I was like, yo, like, were you just driving through like Pingree Grove? And he was like, yeah, I live here. Turns out he lived like two blocks down from where I was staying and never met the guy knew about him for years. We ended up just like going to get ice cream the next night and started like working at a shop part-time at nights after working at the restoration shop. We'd go get ice cream, go get ice cream. Like we, he gained like 20 pounds just from (laughs) hanging out with me getting ice cream. But I worked on a lot of his, a lot of his cars. He's got a, really cool uh bluesmobile you know like living in chicago that's always fun uh he holds the cannonball record so he's got a lot of fast rally cars that we worked on kind of just like worked on a lot of his projects and i ended up moving in with him uh after i graduated for a year and kind of just helping out with him and his shop at cannonball garage which is like a modern day mclaren uh like an off off company mclaren service shop 
Mm-hmm. So they like they service McLarens like not the dealership for their customers, mm-hmm. and I would just fix all the broken stuff for them and come home and work on his personal projects. But we ended up going on Ultimate Road Rally together through the Smoky Mountains. You know, uh, worked on some of his rally cars together. Did a lot of really fun stuff. But he's been a great uh, mentor in my life. You know, he's just a good role model to have and. Uh, nice. was, he was really pushing me to come down to Florida to like pursue my dreams down here. Yeah, and that dovetails into what you're doing right now. You're currently employed by a famous exotic dealership in Florida, wrenching on vintage Lamborghinis and Ferraris and other fun stuff. What have you learned while you're working there, while you've been working there? And what is your favorite car to work on there? Uh, yeah. I've learned a lot. It's actually a lot of the stuff uh, from working on pre-war cars, believe it or not, carries over. It's it's a lot of heavy mechanical Italian cars, um, a lot of brass stuff. Still, you know, it's 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 kind of nice that like to look on the, look on these cars. A lot of the parts carry over, which is surprising. A lot of it's like Fiat stuff that I'm used to. Um, the Italian stuff is actually really thought out, believe it or not. These cars are just gorgeous cars. It was a nice period in time where design was was really popping and mechanical engineering was was at a peak for, for these cars. Uh, it's been really challenging, but also rewarding to work on these cars. I'm, I'm pulling motors on a Countach's, doing clutches on on Ferraris. You know, it's, it's really nice to work here. And... It's we have some Diablos and some Murcielagos and stuff, but I'm really finding myself loving and loving these these old Miras and Countaches. It's oh, really nice. Yeah. Very cool stuff. Uh yeah. what do you think the future holds for vintage Italian exotics like that? I think it's 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 one of the better looking futures. Uh I think, you know, pre war cars definitely are gonna go up um as time as time goes on, but these Italian cars, you know, the Countachs were were every every kid's poster car growing up, and now the kids have grown up. They have money; they can go buy these cars. People are realizing that these cars are investment cars. They're gorgeous cars. Uh, you know, these these Muras back in the day. You know, they they were the first the first modern supercar of the '60s. Uh, they made like seven hundred of them, mid engine. 380 horsepower, 300 torque, five speed. These cars would go 174 back in the day. Like Oof. they were some really nice cars in the and, late 60s and early 70s. So yeah, and you aren't old enough to remember this, but I'm old enough to remember when you could buy a Countach for 80 grand. And it's, yeah, and it's been since I was old enough to drive because I was thinking. Yeah. Oh man, a couple more years, I can swing one of those. And right about the time I thought I'd be able to do it, they took off and went stratospheric. I know it's so cool because we have we have a lot of really nicely restored cars come through, but we also have a lot of really original and well preserved cars. And it's cool to see these preserved cars come through because, like, there was a time where these cars were like a hundred grand back in the day, and then they went down to eighty grand. Now they're seven hundred thousand, you know, or more. But like. It's cool to see that these cars were appreciated and cared for when they were just like a cheap $80,000 car back in the day. And the fact that they've lived through these owners, you know, the people, 
really enjoyed the cars, took care of them. I would rather see a nicely well-used high mileage car than, than some of these nicely restored cars. That's what we get a lot of uh, more attention in the shop. Cause like we know that the owner really enjoyed the car, really spent a lot of time loving this car and driving the car. And that's what it's all about. Nice. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. All right, Sean, what is the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car or in your case, fire truck? Fire truck. <laughs> I think the dumbest thing was, was probably towing that El Camino back with my minivan on a full car trailer back from Ohio to Illinois. Oh my that thing, God. Yeah. It was a Honda Odyssey, my 08 Honda Odyssey that I towed the full car trailer with. We were got on a gravel road the second we got out of that guy's place. I couldn't steer. It was lifting the front tires that much that <laughs> I couldn't even steer on a dirt road. We, we were going 80 miles an hour back for pretty much the whole way home because my buddy Rossi, who was with me, had to get back and, like, he was selling his BMW later that afternoon, and he was like, dude, like, we got to get back or this guy's going to leave. And I was like, dude, I am, I am pegged. The car was swerving the whole way. You know? <laughs> the, thing, the thing was on the bump stops in the rear the whole way. Oh my I have God. learned never to ever do that again on a minivan. No, that, that weight ratio was real important. I yeah. had that pickup truck, uh, gave it to my son recently, but, uh, I've, yeah. I've towed a couple of big things on those, those trailers. And even with an, you know, an eight foot bed on a 1500 2008 Chevy Silverado, it'll still kind of goose you around right. a little yeah. bit, you know? The password yeah. is super duty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> those, what I made. Those right helper airbags seat. help too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no kidding. We've been speaking with Sean Robinson, fire truck monger extraordinaire. Sean, please tell us where we can find you online and on social media. Yeah, my online and social medias are going to be at the Robinson Shop on Instagram. Fantastic, Sean. Thanks so much for being with us. I'm glad we finally got the opportunity to get this done. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. That's it. Perfect. You know what? I think I'll, if I can remember Sweet. how to do this here, I may uh, take a quick screenshot of uh, of this because we we all our stuff is all by uh, audio. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Oh, hell we're on. not on YouTube yet, but we're headed that way pretty quick. There we go. Cool. That's yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, we finally got our new studio in my new house, or at least new to me house. And uh, yeah. and the curtains finally hung up. Well, yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, it's right over there, dude. See, nice, isn't that pretty? Ooh. And Ped's supposed to be getting us set up with all kinds of GoPro shit, and we're going to get monitors in here and everything else. So cool. Oh, that's awesome. We might have a legit studio finally five years in. Are you guys going to ever go live or still keep like the... Hell no, we're not doing this shit live. (laughs) Are you insane? You had had any fucking idea the crap we cut out? Here's a a good example. You know who Pete Brock is, right? Yeah. Guy who designed the Cobra Daytona Coupe. Pete's still alive. He's still doing car stuff. We had him on the show a couple years ago. Such a nice guy. He is a sweetheart of a human being, and he knows so much stuff. But miles away. <laughs> you ready? Ready. It took me over a year to get him on, but I'm so happy we did. Oh, so worth it! What a what a cool guy! And it's so cool that he's also another McPherson grad. Yeah, uh, I, I'm looking here on the website for that RPM Foundation. RPM dot foundation. 
where you can even apply for a grant. I mean, this they, is so cool. They do a lot of stuff to help get people into the uh, collector car world. And it just, I love RPM. And I love that Sean, Jesus, what kind of sack do you have to have dude, to fly four or five states away? Yeah, I'll, I'll take this fire truck. Well, yeah. first of all, he won it in a raffle. I didn't even really buy it. And, you know, send tires and uh, get it back to a shop, fly home, do a week at school, fly back out there. Yeah, I'll drive this home. And you've, if you look up Sean Robinson and fire truck, those three words, Sean Robinson, S-E-A-N, and fire truck. He's in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, he's in the freaking Wall Street Journal. That's where I read up about him. I'm like, oh, my God, this is a WSJ? No kidding. Yeah. Dude, well, and, well played. And again, uh, it just goes to show you the level of Yeah, it'll do uh, 44. Won't even violate 45 miles an hour. I will drive this through Pennsylvania <laughs> and Maryland and Ohio, Kentucky, Illinois. Just he's driven that thing all over. How nuts is that? It is a, uh, you know, I'm watching it. There's a little uh, rolling video they have at the top of the article for the Wall Street Journal. And that thing is just a monster. It looks like he's about to drive up to Rampart to get a no, that's uh, a, IV with lactate ringer stack. Yeah, it's a big piece of hardware. It's, it's a rolling chunk. It's a big piece of hardware. And he drove that thing. No, gas gauge doesn't work. Yeah, we'll just stop every three, four hours, fill it up. God. <laughs> I just, I can't even. That's awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio and all of our nuttiness. Uh, we love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and on LinkedIn as Driven Radio Show Podcast. You can also find us anywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield from Mark L. Groves. Yo. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Driven Radio.